great message. Amen? Amen. Well, did you hear about that? The email that was circulating saying that swine flu could be caught through tinned pork and ham. Did you hear that? Well, people were advised not to open it because it was just spam. You get it? Some of you thought I was serious, didn't you? Okay. Which way did the programmer go? He went data way. Data way. Data way. Okay, I didn't say they were good. What was a what 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 is a computer's favorite type of music? Hold on, real quick. Where's Travis at? Travis, where you at? Where you at, Travis? Come on, put it put it up. You owe me a dollar in just a moment. Watch this. What is a computer's favorite type of music? Disc. Oh. You owe me a buck, Travis. He said he said if I did that, he'd give me a dollar. Okay. All right. How did the how the guy get water in his computer? <laughs> he was trying to surf the internet. Uh, yeah. Finally, last but not least, okay, I'll, I'll end the misery right here. Why did the lumberjack enjoy most of the internet? Uh, what what did the lumberjack enjoy most about the internet? Logging on. Logging on. Okay. Yeah, no joke. Okay. All right. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Matthew chapter 25 today, would you please? Matthew chapter 25. Merry heart maketh like a good medicine. You know, we need to laugh sometimes. We need to laugh. I told the singles this, this morning, I said, do you ever wonder why I, because I talked about a good heart today. That was our topic. And I I do PowerPoints every week in our class, and I, I have, at least lately I have been, and I, I was talking about a good heart, and, and one of the, the points was that it's profitable, and one of them is a merry heart makes like a good medicine, you know, so if you've got a good heart, you know, you, you know it's a good thing, and uh, I said, you, you ever wonder why I tell these corny, stupid jokes in class every week? I said, I, you know, I said, you ever wonder why? I said, because it, it, it's good. It makes us laugh. It, it, it makes us lighthearted. It, I mean, we come to class, maybe a little burdened, a little heavy broken-spirited, man, you get to laugh and it helps. God says it helps. I, I tell these stupid jokes. Somebody says, well, why would you tell such stupid jokes? Because I, I think it's important that we laugh. Man, life is, life is not, life can be a real bummer. I mean, I, I know when you're young and you got your health and everything's going great, man, you're just like, yeah. I mean, everything's new, everything's exciting. Man, I mean, we're, you know, like we're, we've got, we've got a, an activity, uh, the singles do, you know, tonight. And and, uh, man, that's exciting. You're like, yeah, I want to be with my friends. Ah, ah. And you get older like us, you know, we're going, oh, we have one more thing to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, are you kidding me? You know, and so you got to keep a light heart and you have to ultimately see the good in things and try to see, you know, make it exciting, you know, and, and laughing's good for us, you know. So I like to laugh. I enjoy it. And I think it's important. And biblically and scripturally, it's good. So we, we, we're just going to keep, keep uh, aggravating the singles with these corny jokes and Every once in a while when there's a good one, we'll share it with you. Well, even when they're bad, we may share a few. So anyway, all right, Matthew chapter 25, all right? Don't forget tonight, don't forget tonight, Brother Edmonds will be with us. And again, he and his wife will be singing for us, and they'll be, uh, he'll be preaching. We're looking forward to that. 
And I scheduled him a long time ago, and he was unable to make it. He had a heart problem, had to have a, 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 actually a bypass surgery. And I said, when you're feeling better, get a hold of me. We'd love to have you. He did, and I was able to reschedule him, so he's coming back this, this evening. So we're looking forward to having him with us tonight, okay? Six o'clock service. All right, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. We're going to start reading there. <clears throat> For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and uh, uh, brought, excuse me, he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strolled. And I was afraid, and went and hid my talent, thy talent, in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strolled. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Talking about interest. Take, therefore, the talent from him. Give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. In our passage this morning we are amazed at how much truth is packed into this little passage. It's amazing. There's so many insights concerning uh, the time in which we live. We can make this applicable to us easily. I mean, it's not stretching it in the least. And I want to note a couple things about the passage, and then I want to share a simple message with you. It won't take real long, but I do want you to get the idea and the gist of it all. First of all, I want you to notice the man. Notice in verse 14, the very beginning, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Notice again, the man. Now, in this particular passage, we note that the man here, he has some possessions. He has some things. He's traveling to a far country. In this particular passage, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, a literal kingdom. 
Therefore, what we know is that this man represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he's going off to go back to heaven, he's leaving servants in charge of his possessions. The man is none other than Jesus Christ. And again, he's going back and he's leaving something behind. His possessions, his things. And he leaves or entrusts the kingdom into the care of his servants. I want you to note the ministry also. Verse 14 again, toward the end, it says that it says, For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants, his own servants, and delivered unto them his goods. Now, so we have the man who has his goods, his possessions, his things in this kingdom. He's going off to a far country. What does he do? He takes his servants and he makes them stewards of his possessions and goods. Their ministry, the servants' ministries, is simply to be a good steward of what God has left them. Their mission and ministry is to care for and invest properly. That which is not theirs, but his. So we see the man, we see the ministry. But note the message. Notice verse 21. One of these receives five talents, and we know that he ultimately gains five talents in the end. And here is the message that his Lord gives him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I want you to notice also... This other man who had two talents, and he gained two talents. Notice it says here, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But then notice verse 26. This particular gentleman or servant receives a talent. But he chooses to bury it, does nothing with it, takes no steps to care for or to increase. And notice what his Lord says to him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathereth where I have not strawed. Thought us therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. The least you could have done was invest my money with a bank. Do something. At least I would have received some interest on the money. It wouldn't have cost you a dime to take it to the bank and invest it. But instead you chose to bury it. He calls him in the passage, wicked and slothful. Isn't that something? You say, what did the guy do? He just buried the money. He was afraid of his master. Therefore, because he was afraid of what the master would do if he lost the, the, the one talent, he, he, he buried it. I can understand that. I, I understand what it is to fear your boss. I understand what it is to fear your husband. I understand what it is to fear a wife. I understand what it is to fear somebody and not want to take a step for fear of messing it up and getting it even worse than what it was. Let me tell you something. We're dealing with God. He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. I don't care how you were brought up. 
I don't care what your background is. doesn't matter whether you're abused or not. Listen, you cannot use those things as excuses when you deal with God. You've got to understand, He is not like that dad that raised you abusively. He's not like that stepdad that hurt you. He's not like that mother who screamed and yelled at you. He's not like anybody that ever hurt you or harmed you without cause. No, this is Jesus Christ, and he's giving this talent to one of his servants. Are you God's servant? Because if you are, you've been given a talent at least, at least one, maybe more. And God wants you to use it for him. And he's saying, if you do nothing with it, well, we'll leave it to God. Today, I simply want to consider this thought, or I I guess I want us to all be able to hear the words, well done. Don't you want to hear the Lord say well done one day when you reach heaven? I do. I want to hear him say well done to me. And say, well, you know, I won't deserve it. Well, none of us deserve anything other than hell. We understand that. But God says that he's... gone back to heaven. He's left his servants with some responsibility, with a stewardship. So therefore, we have a job to do. We have a responsibility to perform. I want to hear him say, well done one day. So this morning, I want to share three things that we must do in order to hear well done. Three things you have to do to hear well done. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll look at those three things. Father, we do come to you. We need you today. Lord, we are just such a needy people. Father, Again, our hearts, Father, may be heavy today. I pray, Lord, that if there's a heavy heart, that they would be lifted up and encouraged today as they consider the fact that, Lord, you do love them, you care, and that, Lord, your goal is to hear, is to say, well done one day, that they don't have to worry about failing you. They just need to be faithful to you. Father, we are not guaranteed success in this life. We are not guaranteed the world's success, at least, but we can be successful in your eyes. It's not based on how much money we have in our bank account. It's not based on how high up the corporate ladder we travel. It doesn't matter how many possessions we own. It's all about being faithful. Help us, Lord, just to see you today in this message and to understand your desire for us and your longing. And, Father, may you help us, Father, to hear those words one day, well done. May we take the steps needed to hear those words. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, if you're going to hear the words, well done one day, then you have to start right. You have to start right. Okay, it begins at the foot of the cross. It begins at Calvary. There's no place to start except the cross of Calvary. That's where it all begins. See, the nature of man is that of sin. And the fact is, is that sin and God are not compatible. They do not go together. Until a man or a woman addresses their sin issue, there can be no fellowship with God. There just cannot be. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we begin reading there. It says, Wherefore, remember... Of course, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and therefore we are to believe and understand that those that he's speaking to are believers. Why? Because in order to be part of the body of Christ, in order to be part of the the local church, you have to be a believer. You don't just let people join the church without, first of all, having met the Lord Christ as their Savior. 
So you have to be saved to be a member of the church. Someone says, I'd like to join your church. We say, have you been scripturally saved and scripturally baptized? Why, why, why is that important? Because scripturally saved is a prerequisite. And the moment you're saved, you are obligated to God to take that first step of obedience, which is baptism. So if you're transferring from another ministry, you have to be from a church of like faith, and you must have been baptized, submerged by a church of like faith, and have been scripturally, baptized, uh, scripturally saved. So I've been baptized, but have you been scripturally saved? Well, what's that mean? Well, you can't be a member until you're scripturally saved and then have been scripturally baptized by being submerged and brought up. Not by some other denomination or church, but by a like-minded Baptist church. You've got to understand that because our roots go all the way back to Christ. As a line that is, extends from Christ all the way through, there's been a church that has never become part of the Catholic Church. There was always a group that stayed separated from it. There was always a group that remained pure and clean. And let me tell you, that's where the Baptists are from. We are not Protestants. We did not come out of a movement. We were already in Christ and followed the Lord. And multiple, multiple millions of us died to come where we are today and to arrive where we're at. It's amazing. You check your history. You'll see it to be true. So we have to be scripturally saved and scripturally baptized in the church of like faith to join into this church. Or you need to be saved scripturally and baptized in this church. And you've become part of the church. Now, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Therefore, we are speaking to other believers now. People that have been saved and scripturally baptized and are part of the body of Christ and the local church. Notice what he says here to them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. What he's saying is that those, the, the, those that are circumcised were the Jews. You were called the uncircumcision by the Jews. He goes, by that which is called circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. Back then, he says, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That means the many blessings that Israel possessed as a result of having a relationship with God. And strangers from the covenant of promise, those promises that you, that you find in the word of God were not yours yet because you weren't in the family, you weren't part of yet. You're being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger from the covenant of promise. And boy, when you're in that position, having no hope and without God in the world, that's a bad place to be. See, when we don't have God's word and we don't have God's promises, we are without God, without Christ, and with no hope in this world. But notice what he goes on to say to these who he told to remember. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, you were far off. You were distanced from God. You were out of fellowship with the Lord. You had no right to the word of God or the promises of God. You couldn't claim them because they weren't yours yet because you weren't part of his family. But now because of the blood of Christ, you've been brought nigh. You've been brought into fellowship. You're close to God now and you have these, these wonderful promises that are yours. See, the precious blood of Christ is perfect blood and it is the only acceptable payment for sin. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we're going to read through verse 25. He says, 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice, first of all, the reality. In verse 23, we see the reality. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reality is, is that no one measures up to God's perfect standard. No one. Amen. Doesn't matter what family you were born into. Doesn't matter how pretty or how handsome you are. It doesn't matter how kind and considerate you are. It doesn't matter how, how, how sweet you are to others in need or how benevolent you become to those that are hurting. No, it doesn't matter. The reality is, is that all have sinned. And we know all sin because when we measure ourselves to God and His perfect standard of holiness, we fall miserably short. We see the reality. Notice also in the passage, verse 24, we see the redemption. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption has to do with being purchased or bought back. The fact is, is that when we sinned or when Adam sinned in the garden, we were sold into slavery and sold into the clutches of Satan. The fact is now, as a result of the blood of Christ, the reality of his death, burial, and resurrection, we are now free or able to be redeemed or bought back out of sin and into Christ's family. Redemption. Who, hath, who God hath set forth. He said, excuse me, being justified or just as if we never sinned by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can be justified just as if you never sinned solely, completely through the redemption that comes through Christ. How's that possible? Well, we see the righteousness in verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So what we find here is that Christ is our propitiation. That means His sacrifice and His shed blood sufficiently appeased the wrath and the righteous demands of a holy God. God's wrath is justified on us. God has every right to be angry with us in our sin. God has every right to cast us into hell. God has every right to to throw us headlong into a lake of fire because of our sin against Him and His holiness. And yet the Bible tells us that God in His infinite mercy and grace, His wonderful love toward us, allowed His Son Jesus Christ to hang on Calvary, shed His blood, die, be buried, and rise again the third day so that that could take the place of our sin so that His blood could wash our sin away and by accepting and receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, we could be free from our sin, free from Satan, and free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ's sacrificial act on Calvary is sufficient payment for sin. Nothing else can even put a dent in what you owe God today. And nothing else can put a dent in what I owe Him. See, our sin debt is so great that it doesn't matter if we had all the money that the world could mass, uh, amass. It doesn't matter if we could have access to every gold mine there is in the world. We could never come up with enough money to give to God and His work to have our sin even remotely, even, even a little bit washed away. It wouldn't even come close. 
The only thing that can wash my sin away, the only thing that can wash your sin away is the blood of Jesus Christ and only that. In 1 John 2, 2, the Bible says, For He, the Lord Jesus, referring to Him, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He died on behalf of the world. But let me tell you, although the sin debt was paid for the world, although His blood is efficable to the entire universe in that sense, the fact is, is that until a man or a woman accepts him receives his forgiveness offers their sin to him and accepts in exchange the forgiveness of god that sits in an account untapped it's like it's there's this tremendous amount of wealth that is accessible to you that that you could use and that you could have in your life but without you going and withdrawing that you'll never experience or enjoy that and the fact is is that that blood has been shed the penalty's been paid Sin has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ, the only propitiation, the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. But you must first appropriate it in your life by calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ, inviting Him into your life, acknowledging that He alone can save you and forgive you. If you're going to hear well done one day, if I'm going to hear well done, then we must start right. You have to start right. You have to start right. The great 19th century English pastor and evangelist Charles Haddon Spurgeon was converted to Christ as a young man on January the 6th, 1856. That's a few years ago, huh? Now, Charles Spurgeon, to this day, there are pastors have his books... He's considered the prince of preachers. They have his books, his messages on their bookshelves. They have them in their computers. They they read them. They they look at them. They review them. He's just, he was a masterful preacher. God used him in such a mighty way. At the age of 29, he was preaching to over 5,000 people every week. An amazing man of God. Amazing. Spurgeon, concerning his conversion, made this statement. Let me just read what he said. I don't want to mess it up. So he said, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God and sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. One Sunday morning while I was going, he said, to a certain place of worship. So he was headed somewhere else and a snowstorm came. He said, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I'd heard that the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's headache. But that didn't matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how much they made my headache. The minister, boy, I wish some people would get a hold of that one. Boy, sometimes we need our headache anyway, don't we? If if it means getting a hold of the truth... I don't like when preachers yell. That bothers me. Okay. Pull your family on out and go to some whiny little church where they don't win souls, where the preacher doesn't take a stand on anything, where he doesn't get passionate about anything, where it's just always, the Lord saith, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I want a preacher that believes what he's saying. I want somebody that's a little passionate about it. I mean, I don't need somebody that's always screaming at the top of their lungs every minute of the time. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, man, let's get excited about God. So old Spurgeon says, man, I've heard about these boys, but that's okay. I just want to know if they can help me. The minister, he said, did not come that morning. (laughs) He was snowed up. I've always heard snowed in. They said snowed up. I suppose at last, he says at last, a very thin looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it was well that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. I'm just reading it. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look. Now looking, don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be, a, may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Hey, he said. Many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When he had gone to about that length, he managed to spin out ten minutes or so. He was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. <laughs> Just fixing his eyes on me as, he, as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I hadn't been accustomed to, to have remarks from the pulpit, uh, made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. He says, however, it was a good blow. Struck right home. He continued, and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life. Miserable in death. If you don't obey my text, but if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. He said, I saw at once the way of salvation. 
I know not what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought, like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that someone had told me this before. Trust Christ and ye shall be saved. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Look unto Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say, if we're ever going to hear, well done. If we're ever going to look Christ in the eye and hear, well done. Then it must, we must start right. It must begin at the cross of Calvary. It begins with Jesus Christ. It's not about our effort. It's not about our works. It's not about our good deeds. It's not about our good outweighing the bad. It's about Jesus and Christ alone. Look, look unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God help us to realize that He alone is the resurrection and the life. He alone. No other. If we're ever going to hear well done, we need to start right. I wonder, have you started right? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that heaven's your home, that you're on your way? Do you know if you close your eyes in death tonight, They'll be awakened in the presence of God and His holy angels. We play a game sometimes. We like to believe certain things, but may I say you must know some things. And one of them is your salvation and your eternal destination. He that hath the Son hath life. Do you have the Son of God today? This morning we're going to end right there. Real simple. If you're going to hear well done, it begins by starting right. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that we have, Lord, to possess your word and to have copy after copy of it. We thank you, Father, for the men and women who paid the ultimate price of death 